Welcome to episode 514 with my return guest, Mara Wilson. I'm Paul Gilmartin. I'm not really sure my name. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the bullshit bouncing around in our skulls. This show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I am not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. More like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. All kinds of stuff there. You can go there and support the show. You can browse the forum. You can fill out surveys. All kinds of stuff. Greatly appreciated to uh, uh, to anybody who goes there and uh, fills out surveys. I especially love when people fill out the happy moments or the loves or the awfulsome moments. Those those uh, those are very uplifting to. Uh, to me. I don't know if I have seasonal affective disorder. I I think I do. I think I do. Because when the days get short in the fall, it's people ask me, hey man, how you doing? I can't find the words to express what it is that I'm feeling. And I think it's why I like um, writing and, and playing music when I'm, when I'm experiencing that. And uh, I wrote this thing and recorded it and played it for my girlfriend. And she was like, she says this a lot. You need to share that with people. And so I'm just going to play a little snippet of how I am feeling. It's, I feel like it's a lot more accurate than I could speak with words. wasn't too uh, too self-indulgent, but I just have the feeling that there's a lot of people out there that that's, that's how they're feeling right right now. <laughs> I don't know, is it a bad idea to start the show off on, on such a melancholy note? But then again, that's why I started the podcast, was this is, this is the shit that we avoid talking about because we're afraid that what we're feeling is burdensome to other people or that we're going to express it in a way that isn't accurate or articulate. And there you, there you have it. I want to read some loves. This is filled out by a person who refers to themselves as general neutral person of all trades. And they write, uh, I love cycling to work into the sunrise cycling home at night in the waning sun and finally getting home after the last two miles of uphill riding, driving my Jeep with the doors off, drinking coffee on the porch at 4.30 in the morning with the dogs playing in the yard. Oh, I love that one. God, I wish I could get up that early. I actually went to bed last night after you were up. Um... Talking with my father figure about anything at all because he reaffirms my worth without a second thought. Opening the basement door after work and hearing the dog scramble up the stairs to greet me. The silly way my dog carries his toys back and forth across the house but won't let me play with him. Oh my God, do I love that one. The sound of my dog crunching on carrots and the way he scrapes tiny pieces with his front teeth. When my old dog walks over and rolls onto his back at my feet asking for belly rubs. The relief and anxiety after I finish washing dishes and cleaning kitchen counters. When people can't figure out my gender as long as I don't speak. Picking apples. Pulling a perfect pie out of the oven and knowing my co-workers will love it. Oh, I love that one. Motivating and teaching people to run, especially when they meet a goal. Camping in the middle of the woods and mountains, not seeing another person for days. The sound of a second hand ticking in an otherwise silent room. That's, that's an interesting one because 
I can see how that's oddly meditative, but there's also a part of me that's like, oh, that's life passing me by. Pulling the kettle off the burner at the exact right time before it begins to boil so I can make coffee at the perfect temperature. That is an awesome one. Learning languages, numbers and mathematics, bridges and bridge design. How peaceful my life has become since kicking toxic people out. And when my dogs jump on the bed at the end of the day and start snoring. Those are so fantastic. Thank you for those. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by Madeline, the survivor, and she writes, I got hit by a pickup truck on my way to work last week while I was listening to your podcast. I then swerved into a tow truck. Your voice would have been the last thing I heard. He ran a red. If I was driving a second slower, he would have hit me on my driver's side door and I wouldn't be writing you that, writing this to you from my bed. The first thing I did when I lifted my head out of the airbag was to check to see if I still had all my teeth. Not really sure why. Why? The wild thing about the accident is that the man who hit me is a firefighter. He's the one that's supposed to save me, not almost kill me. My whole body is bruised and I can't do anything by myself. But damn, am I grateful to be able to wake up every day and be a bit stronger than the last. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That is, that is super intense. And I, I hope that you are feeling better. It's awesome that you have a good attitude about it. It's it's amazing how much our attitude about things can, I don't know, shrink pain or make us not dread the future. Uh, if you could bottle that, that would be an awesome thing to give us a Christmas present. We are sponsored this week, as always, by BetterHelp.com, online therapy. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Uh, if you've never tried online therapy, you should really give it a shot. It's convenient. Do it from the comfort of your home. You can either do audio or text or online chat or video, whatever whatever works for you. Um, been doing it for a couple of years, and um, my therapist, Donna, is helping me work through a lot of, lot of shit, a lot of layers of the onion getting getting peeled with her um, go to betterhelp.com slash mental and if they uh, fill out a questionnaire and if they feel that they have a counselor that is a good fit for you they will match you up with one and then you can experience a free week of counseling to see if uh, online counseling is your thing and you need to be over 18 otherwise they'll direct you to teencounseling.com and you can go through the registration process there that's betterhelp.com slash mental and make sure uh, you would uh, that you include the slash metal part so they know you came from this podcast. This is from the Struggle in a Sentence survey filled out by uh, Batshit Crazy and they write about their depression. It feels like I'm skiing down a mountain with an avalanche hastily approaching and then it engulfs me. All I can do is feel it settling into its perfect place while it begins to suffocate me, refusing to let me dig myself out. Wow. On some level, I do, I do get that. I do get that. Oh, that would be such an awful way to die, being suffocated in an avalanche. Oh, fuck. About their ADD, it's like I'm on autopilot, but my map is fucked up and just keeps bringing me in circles, never actually letting me get off the plane. About their anxiety, the constant worry of what I'll be doing at this very second 10 years from now. Stress that I didn't do everything I needed to do 10 years ago. Holy shit, do I relate to that one. And about their anorexia, I struggled to be the skinniest person in the room, knowing that even if I am the skinniest person in the room, the lamp is still skinnier than me. Fuck you, lamp. Every little thing feels like the end of the world. The darkness came so quickly. I was so fucking angry. Make me as close to dead as possible. And I felt so powerless. Without the commitment. If there's a word for it. Unbearable. It means somebody else felt this way. The feeling is so intense. It is a lot more work. I was frightened all the time. To feed a child's emotional world. Everyone feels pain. Than it is their superficial world. Everyone suffers. My sexual addiction was the shame. My mom ended up killing that woman in front of me and my brothers. I had to feel 
feel that shame in order to feel the pleasure. And I was being a dick to everybody. We are social beings. And the only way you're going to get it out is to cry. We need to be with people. I grab them by their throats and let them down to the floor and watch the breath leave their bodies. Well, Maybe listen, thanks people. for coming in. I am talking to return guest Mara Wilson. Uh, loved when you came on. It was uh, many years ago. I think it was probably, what, six, seven years ago? I think probably four. I mean, I think I was in L.A. at the time, or maybe mm -hmm. I was just visiting. But, yeah, I would say probably four, like three, four, five, something like that. Yeah. We touched on a lot of stuff. We talked a lot about your childhood, OCD, mm -hmm. uh, losing your mom. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought for having you return, maybe we take uh, some questions that folks on Twitter want to ask you. Yeah, that would be great. Okay. How are you doing, by the way? I'm doing all right. Uh, I, I've i had a, a rough couple of years because I had some uh, illness stuff. And, you know, it, it's funny. I was having trouble describing the problems that I had, but... Um, basically, I had a post-viral syndrome, and we're seeing that it's similar to what's happening with a lot of COVID, people who've survived COVID right now. They they have these symptoms afterwards, and that kind of happened to me where um, I got sick and then kind of didn't get better after that. It just threw my autonomic nervous system off. So the last few years, have there's been a lot of changes for me with uh, with how I've sort of been handling everyday life because I, you know, I have a chronic illness and it's in much better shape than it was. It, things are much more under control, but I had, you know, like a year or two of, of just dealing with these confusing symptoms before I finally found things that work. And then I had another year after that of just depression and rage and frustration because I felt like I had been missing out on so much. And because I, I had to kind of learn to live with it. And that was, that was a, a very difficult thing, you know, to, to, to deal with. It's, um, it's, it's hard to just completely change your life like that. And there's a lot of things like I gave up caffeine and alcohol and, uh, and those are things that I, I didn't know that I missed, <laughs> you know, uh, they, and it was, uh, so it was, it was a rough few years, I think, uh, been a lot of learning experiences and a lot of meds changes and a, a lot of, you know, having very patient friends and family around me, uh, be, be good to me and care for me, which has been great. Um, but yeah, they, they definitely have not been easy and it's been unlike anything else I've ever dealt with in my life. I've, I've been very fortunate to have, you know, good health for a very long time. So it was kind of rocky. It was kind of surprising. And now I'm just kind of doing what I can to make sure that people know that these kinds of things can happen to them. And unfortunately, I think with COVID, we are seeing it and are going to continue to see it on a much larger scale. Yeah, I have a, a, a friend who got it very early on, and he said his lung capacity is reduced by about 25%, and his hair was yeah. falling out. Yeah, I, I mean, I know people now who have blood pressure problems, who have brain fog, who have who are fainting, have a have a fainting disorder now, which I do too. I I faint if uh, if um, I don't basically if I don't wear compression socks and if I do have caffeine or alcohol, I will first get these physical feelings that are like, uh, you know, they're they're like panic attacks, but they're even worse. I would say they're I feel paranoid. I feel shaky. I. It's like I've described them as like walking down a dark alley by yourself at night uh, after drinking a triple espresso while on an edible. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think that's specific enough. <laughs> you I, I just feel like I, I was in a restaurant or I was in like a cafe once and they had Halloween decorations up. And this was a year or two ago. And I had some caffeine and then all of a sudden, like, I felt like the walls were closing in on me and the things around me got legitimately scary. And I had to, I had to like run out the door and, and I, I had this like, and, and I've, I've talked to doctors about it and they're like, yeah, it has to do with norepinephrine and uh, your body overcompensating when, you know, your, your blood pressure is low and there's all this weird stuff that your mind and body do. And, uh, you know, I would I would have like a glass of red wine and burst into tears because, you know, oh, I, I couldn't feel my hands and fingers anymore. And I couldn't. Yeah. And I and I and I, I was panicking. And I think anxiety on top of that definitely did not help. 
But I told them, I was like, I, I told doctors, I was like, I've had anxiety disorders for as long as I can remember. And I've given speeches on anxiety and this doesn't quite feel like anxiety. It feels a little different. And then finally people who, you know, knew about the autonomic system were like, we're like, yeah, that, that happens. It's because of blood pressure and it's because of uh, norepinephrine and uh, it's, it's actually pretty basic and, and uh, uncomplicated. And um, so, yeah, and, and that's, uh, but that's been a major adjustment, adjustment in my life. You know, I, I don't know if this will help, but when you find yourself uh, about to faint, try putting the back of your palm to your forehead and say, Oh my. <laughs> You know, I've I've now found like the good places to faint and the bad places to faint. <laughs> like the the bad places to faint. I fainted in a bookstore once and they just kind of walked around me. <laughs> um but then I fainted in a health food store once and uh and people were very nice and they gave me water and and salt water and I was like, "Okay, now I know <laughs> now I know where to and where not to." And that was something that happened to me. I mean, it first happened to me like actually before I got sick. It happened to me like 5 years ago. I think I I think it's possible that I just like have a, a low volume of blood. Cause like I, I passed out after giving blood. I, um, and, uh, I, I have some stuff that like can, can indicate lower blood volume. Um, and, uh, and I, I passed out in front of a cafe, like an outdoor cafe in New York a couple of years ago. And, uh, and this woman just pushed everybody out of the way and was like, out of the way, I'm a physician assistant. But that restaurant was very nice and they gave me like free ciabatta bread and water. So uh, <laughs> in front of an outdoor cafe, also a good place to faint. A note to people who are cheap. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, the ambulance ride won- wasn't cheap. The ambulance yeah. ride wasn't cheap. But uh, but uh, after that, I'm like, I'll, I'll, I'll drive to the, to the hospital or I'll get somebody else to take me to the hospital. What, what was the virus that you had contracted? Um, it was it was EBV. It was mono, uh, which is a weird thing to get as an adult. And I still don't know how I got it. I think. I mean, I was at an event where I was like sharing like a week long, like retreat type thing where I was sharing drinks with a bunch of people. Um, like I, I was seeing somebody at the time and I asked them later because it, it correlated to like, it was like a long distance thing. And like it, it correlated to having seen them. And, and I asked them later because I was like, you know, I got sick, like a week after I kissed you. <laughs> and, but they, but they were like, I, I don't think I've ever had Epstein-Barr virus. I don't, I don't think I've ever had mono. So, um, but the were thing you is making like, out in a closet with a boy you had a crush on? <laughs> I know it sounds like it's, it's like not something you should get when you're 30. It's something you should get when you're 15. But you know, I, uh, I was a late bloomer, I guess. Um, and, uh, and yeah, but, but they, they hadn't, as far as they know, they didn't have it, but something like 90% of people have been exposed to it. So it's also possible that I got it younger in my life. Uh, but, uh, but since they don't know if they've ever had it and, and like, you know, maybe it was like I shared my friend's drink and they didn't know, like nobody in my life seems to know where it could have come from. So, so, uh, which is a really frustrating thing to think about too. And it, it feels very, it does feel very fifties. Like, you know, share a drink, you know, share, share a malt with, or like kiss the wrong person and your life is ruined. Never share a phosphate with anybody. Exactly. That's what it feels like. And I feel sometimes like, like in the past few years, it was really, it was, it was hard for me to get a lot of work done. And I had so much bad brain fog that, uh, it was hard for me to, to socialize with people. And it was hard for me to write. And it was also hard for me to read. And those are like, those are like the three underlying parts of my personality. Those are the three things that I love to do more than anything else in the world. And and it's embarrassing when it you is. get the brain fog, even though yeah. I, people probably aren't judging you. It's a, it's, it's so anxiety inducing. I was talking to a friend one time and I was telling him about a great concert that I went to and he went, Hey, asshole, I went to it with you. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I also like, I've kind of realized lately, uh, also how much of my life has been divined by ADHD. Mm -hmm. Um, that's something I think that like, it, it comes from like my dad's side of the family. A lot of mental illness in my family comes from my mother's side, but 
but ADHD is something that like, like, and I don't, I don't really know if it is a mental illness in some ways. It just feels like a kind of different way of brains working. And I also do feel like probably everybody's minds work to this extent, but sort of embracing ADHD has been, has been uh, really helpful for me because now I kind of, I I'm like, Oh, okay. This is why, I, I got overwhelmed with so many things and this is why I had trouble with this. And this is why I can't remember these things. And I, I was diagnosed with it, I think at 19 or 20, but I think at the time there was sort of a lot of backlash against it because people were just like, like, you know, you, I mean, I, I'm sure you remember like the whole in the nineties, people were like, how dare people take Prozac? How p- dare people, you know, do that. That's, that's awful. Exactly. And I felt like for a while that it, it became more acceptable to take SSRIs and, and, you know, things like that. And so like, I felt like I could tell people that I was on an SSRI, but the idea that I had, you know, ADD, ADHD, and was taking stimulants, people were like, you know, people, people were like, well, that would help anybody. So, so, you know, what's wrong with you? And everybody's easily distracted. It's societal. And I do think there are societal forces that have, that have led to us being more distracted and impatient, but. Oh, absolutely. In fact, uh, let's dive into a question that I think is relevant. Somebody asked, how do you manage to stay on social media without letting it get you? I mean, sometimes I do let it get to me and that's hard. Uh, This has been kind of, the past few weeks have been a bit rough, I think, uh, just because so much is going on in the world. Um, I, I think that really I try to learn from it. And and the best thing that I try to do is if I'm wrong, I admit that I'm wrong. I, I think there's no shame in in being wrong. I think it's when you double down, yeah. you know, that that things get really bad for you and things get worse. And I think it's seen as a virtue, at, at least in this country and maybe like the Western world. It's it's seen as a virtue to not back down and to, to make your point and, and hold steady. And I. I don't I th- think that I that think is. It, I think <laughs> it, it, it's uh, a byproduct of that idea of American exceptionalism yes. and the pressure to be number one. Yeah. And it, it, it's just so, uh, it's so toxic and it's so draining. Uh, it's exhausting. There's, yeah. There's many times that I wish that we were a country that hadn't gotten into a bunch of wars that, that <laughs> yes. you know, it maybe got its, uh, its face pummeled a little bit and, and had some humility. Not, not that I want people to suffer, but so we could, well, we just, did, but we didn't accept it. You know, you can look yeah, at Vietnam, Vietnam and Iraq right. and, and we didn't accept that we've lost. Yeah. But, it, uh, and I think yeah. the media is, is to blame somewhat for that. I mean, if you, did you watch Ken Burns documentary on Vietnam? No, I haven't. I've heard wonderful things. It's, it's so it's on the good. List. And three presidents in a row yeah. are recorded on tape saying, I know it's unwinnable, but I have to think about reelection. Yeah, it's I mean, it, it, it's that's just some part of the character. I think it, it is some part of our cultural character. And I think that admitting that you're wrong and and like. Like I had a teacher in high school who said you should always debate to learn, not debate to win. Oh, and I love that. I know I do too. And I think that that's something that I've, I've carried with me. And I, you know, I read a lot of, a lot of like science writers and people like Carl Sagan. And, you know, he has this great quote where he says, you know, people in science often have to say, you know, uh, my idea was wrong. You make a good point. I didn't look at it that way. And, it happens all the time. Sometimes egos get in the way, but it happens every day in in the study of science. And I can't remember when people did that in religion or politics. Do you think that that's a result also of people growing up in homes where mistakes were weaponized against them? I mean, I definitely think so, because I feel like I also I, I definitely grew up in a world where I I was terrified to make a mistake. And I don't think my parents enforce that so much. I think that was just kind of a part of me to begin with. I mean, I know people have talked about uh, ADHD and rejection sensitivity and things like that. I, for me, I feel like, like I I used to, it's strange because I never felt strange being rejected from movies, but like one of my brothers would correct me on something or my mom would correct me on something and I would like break down and cry. And I think for me, it was, it was 
it was that it was so unexpected that I was so wrong. <laughs> I think it, it, it's, it's just like, I don't know. It was like this mini moment of, of, you know, you're a child and you're, you're all, all children are self-absorbed. It's not a bad thing that we just kind of are. And, uh, and for me, like finding out that I was wrong was like, Oh no, can everybody, can it, can people still love me even though I'm wrong? Can people, you know, this, this wasn't true. And this came as such a surprise to me. And that reminds me that surprises are out there and that can be scary. And, and, uh, it, it, it was, it was a strange thing, I think, but I also think, and I also think that, uh, yeah, being in, being on film sets and things like that definitely reinforced this idea because on film sets, it's all about getting the perfect take. I mean, I do think that, that being able to make mistakes and, and being wrong is like something that, you know, being wrong, being okay is something that I try to, you know, get across to any child that, uh, you know, I, I care about and, uh, just kind of figure out, you know, what can we learn from this? Um, so as for social media, yes, I think another thing, and I was just saying this to a friend of mine today is that, cause he sent me like a really nice message and people on social media were being a little uptight. And, uh, and this is, uh, this is kind of a hard time of year for me anyway, cause my mother's birthday is coming up mm. and, um, that always makes me feel, it makes, makes me miss her. It makes me feel a little more vulnerable. And I said to him, I just need to remind myself that there are people who know me, who, who love me <laughs> and, yeah. you know. People, the people who know me best, most of them love me and think that I, you know, that, that I am a, a, you know, talented person, helpful person with a lot to give. And I need to remind myself of that, that, you know, that I, that I've maintained these friendships, that I take care of them, that I've nurtured them and, and that these people do care about me. And There's... these are the people who know me best. It's not people on social media, you know, they right. have these parasocial relationships with me, but no, I, I have good relationships with with actual people in my real life. There's there's an, almost no aspect of our lives that true intimacy, whether it's platonic or romantic, doesn't improve. You know, exactly. human connection is, I mean, we are, we are social creatures. And yeah. even those of us, I, I think that are curmudgeons or misanthropic, mm -hmm. it's still on some level we want to be seen. And the people yeah. that avoid being seen, I don't think it's that they don't want to be seen. I think it's that they've had painful examples Definitely. of being seen. And I mean, and, cynicism is cynicism is like it's like seeing a callus or a scar. You know, it's something that is it, it's something it's a surface level thing that hides something painful underneath. Yeah. Oh, that's I, a, I, I, I love that, that analogy. Yeah. Uh, I've got a, a question that might be a little heavy, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, how many tater tots would it take to fill an Olympic sized swimming pool? Oh, wow. Oh, that's an amazing question. Yeah. Um, they didn't say whether or not they have cheese running through the center of them because that, okay. that is definitely. Uh, yeah. Or if there's like, or if there's like ketchup or something next to them or like whatever. Yeah. I mean, I dip my tater tots in, in ketchup, but I'm trying to think it would be more than one, more than a million for sure. Yeah. Cause, cause even a hundred is a small amount. I, I mean, I would say 50 million maybe, yeah. or maybe, maybe 25 million. Definitely multiple millions, I would say. Okay. I will yes. I will let them know because I think they put their life on hold. Uh are are you still interested in being a part of Peach's Christ parody of Matilda? Oh, did somebody ask me that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like I feel like the stuff that I Peach's Christ um I, I, I saw her yeah, drag performance of I think Showgirls a couple years ago and it was really funny. Um, I don't know how much I would be able to to do and how much I would be able to commit to it, but um, it it would I think be be fun if I could come on as like a cameo type thing, um, or at, at very least I would promote it. I, I think that I, I I love the idea of them doing a version of uh, of uh, of uh, her group of them doing a version of Matilda. So uh, yeah, Peaches, let's talk. <laughs> I think it would be awesome if you came on as the uh, the woman who was the bully to you. Yeah, the Miss Trunchbull or something. Yeah. I, I definitely think I could have. I, I definitely need some kind of some kind of, you know, I don't want to take too much attention away from what they do, I think. Right. So I, I, I don't want like a big role, but I do think that I could definitely, yeah, make make some kind of cameo appearance, I think. Uh, well, somebody asks, was Trunchbull cool in real life? Oh, she was the nicest. Yeah. Pam Ferris is incredibly nice. She, 
yeah, she's, she's so gentle and sweet and she like, she loves her rescue dogs and her rescue kittens and she's very soft-spoken and one of the warmest, kindest people I've ever met in my life. What I mean, do you think Matilda and Miss Honey are doing right now? Um, I think that, I, I think that Miss Honey is probably still teaching. I, I imagine very much she is still teaching. I, I think that she really did love it. She really had a good feeling for it. Uh, Matilda, I, I've I've written about this actually. I fully believe grew up to be a librarian. I think that she that probably, yeah, I think that she probably spent some time maybe working in academia, maybe doing science and math and things like that. But I think that she's kind of she, she's she's you know she's a woman of the people <laughs> underneath it all, and I think that that libraries are, you know, her really her first love. So I definitely think that she's doing that. I don't think they're still living together. I think Matilda is off on her own, but I do think that they're still close. Like I, I, I imagine they, you know, they might've had some, some issues when she was a teenager, but I think Miss Honey deeply understands who Matilda is and she respects her, her life and her space. And that I think is very important. Do you think there was a learning curve for Matilda telling people to be quiet? I mean, I mean, <laughs> well, you know, it also depends on whether you go by the book interpretation of her losing her powers or the, the movie interpretation of her keeping her powers. Because if she keeps her powers, you know, there could be a very scary, you know, Ghostbusters-like library scene. Uh, <laughs> I like this question. If you had a redo on your life, would you do anything differently? If so, or if not, why? I know that's a big question. You might need a day to think about yeah. that one. There are, let's see, there are, I've thought a lot. I, I used to say that I wished I had stopped acting after Matilda because I, I felt like I probably needed time away to process. And a lot of the movies I was in after then weren't, weren't as good or I wasn't as happy with my performances in them and the work that I did on them. So there are some days where I wish I had stopped then, but the truth is that I did meet a lot of really wonderful people, and I also met some less wonderful people who taught me about how to deal with less wonderful people. Uh, there are definitely people that I wish I hadn't met, uh, who who I just feel like kind of, it just wasn't good for us to be friends, or it wasn't good for us to know each other. And it's not it's not even like that they were abusive or things like that. It's just sort of like... Like my, my friend Archie said something really interesting once. Uh, they, they were talking about how there are people who, um, you know, when, when people like, like in, in romantic relationships and such, uh, when there's a breakup, it's not necessarily that one person was bad or another person was. Sometimes it's just that you both have trauma because most human beings do to some extent and your traumas just kind of don't fit together. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more. It's chemistry. I know. Yeah. And I was thinking, I've been thinking a lot about them. Like I was listening to a podcast about uh, the, the You're Wrong About podcast. I love it. About uh, about Princess Diana and Prince Charles. And they both seem like people who they they wanted to do to do good and to do well, you know, and but they, they did not work with each other because they had they both had, you know, traumatic upbringings and they struggled so much and were so much happier when they weren't you know, and they were born into this system that is, is, is incredibly hard to live under. And, and it just makes you think like, it really is about who people are together. I think that sometimes, yeah, sometimes your, your traumas don't fit together. Sometimes your histories don't fit together with people. And some people I've learned from, but some people it's just like, yeah, I kind of wish I didn't have to deal with them. And I wish, I, I think that maybe having them in my life wasn't wasn't the best thing i would say most of the time i mean there's a lot of really embarrassing things i've said and done that of course i wish i could take back and any most in particular oh just like just like you know a lot of people are very socially anxious and they they get quiet about it i was never quiet i was always loud and awkward so I, I overcompensated by, by putting on a performance, by being loud, by being uh, self-deprecating, uh, telling too many jokes about myself, oversharing. And it, it was in some ways, it was both a way of sort of being in control and also testing people, I think. Like, hey, I'm loud and obnoxious and I say wild shit. Can you handle me? Can you still love me? Exactly. Here's, here's, here's the things you're going to leave me for. Exactly. Uh, are you going to leave me now? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And, uh, and I remember, 
in high school, everybody always used to tell me that I was a bitch or, oh my God, I thought you were such a bitch until I got to know you. And then I remember, I think one of my first weeks of college, I was talking to a guy that I'd known for a couple of days or you know, maybe two weeks at most. And I said, yeah, everybody thinks I'm a bitch when they meet me. And this guy said, I didn't think you were a bitch. I just thought you were an insecure girl pretending to be a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty observant. Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, whoa, somebody, somebody gets it. And uh, I felt very, very exposed at that moment. Yeah. And so, I, I, I mean, I, I can think of examples, but I've just, I've said the wrong thing a lot of times in my life and I've learned to be a little bit quieter. God knows I've said the wrong thing on Twitter many times. You know, if I could take it back, um, I, I wouldn't have complained about the city of Philadelphia, yeah. I think, because uh, <laughs> that will not, you know, and I, and I, I, I never would have said that. Um, I, I would have, you know, made sure that, I was talking more about my personal experiences more than yeah. I, I wouldn't have made because some things can really uh, some things I think can, can get misinterpreted. Um, I, I wouldn't, I would have been clearer, I think with a lot of things. And I also would have kept quiet a lot because even though that's not really in my nature, it's my nature to be loud and expressive. And then later on be like, but actually what I meant was so <laughs> there's always footnotes with me. This person writes, I would like to thank her for her wonderful role. I know this is a bit sad, uh, but it's, what is her favorite video game? <laughs> mm -hmm. That's not sad. I, I wish I knew more about video games. I'm, I'm a very casual player. Um, right now I'm playing Hades and really liking it. I've, I've been playing more games uh, since the lockdown started, since the pandemic started, because uh because it's it's a good way of me keeping in touch with my friends, and so uh, I'll play I'll play like Animal Crossing or things like that with like my nieces and nephews or uh, or my friends or friends of the family, and so uh, yeah, I've been doing that a lot more lately. Probably my favorite of all time is Chrono Trigger, because it has such a fascinating story about time travel and friendship, and uh, the music is amazing, and it's it's very gentle and it's very easy to play. I really like that one. Uh, I also love Stardew Valley because it's, it's another thing that it just seems like, like the story is you work for this giant corporation and your grandfather leaves you a house in the country and you go there and you start a farm and, uh, and then you meet all these people around there and, you know, and, and these people all have their own sto stories and their own dramas and you can, you know, you can become best friends with or marry some of them and there's this, uh, there's just so many levels to it. And it's also very peaceful. Like when I was at my most sick, Stardew Valley got me through the day because mm. it's, it's very wholesome. Uh, and I like that a lot. And it's also just one guy who made the whole game by himself. And I think oh, that's wow. incredible. Yeah. He, I, he did the music and everything. I, I don't know if this is along the same lines, but I like uh, doing virtual reality goggles and yeah. shooting zombies so I can see their heads explode. <laughs> <laughs> that, is that the same thing? Maybe. Um, <laughs> first person shooters make me really, uh, they make me, they make me kind of, they give me motion sickness. Yeah. Like, the, I was the playing. The ones where you move yourself, where yeah. you walk or run. Yeah. I start sweating and I have yeah. to take it off. But the, the ones that I do, you teleport yourself forward. And so that doesn't give you the motion sickness. I have a friend who works in virtual reality and uh, I, I, went over to his apartment a couple of years ago and there's now a picture of me lying on the floor <laughs> with a virtual reality mask on <laughs> because like, and I was, I think they were doing, they were working on something that took place in the ocean. And so I was just lying down and looking at this ocean world around me. Uh, it was, it was very peaceful, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, I mean, I, I do, I, I, I am okay with like killing zombies and stuff, but often so many of them just make me, like I could play them in the nineties when they were a bit more primitive, but, but so many of them now I'll enjoy them for five minutes and then I'll be like, okay, I need, I, I need some Dramamine. What is the strongest animal that you think you could wrestle and win? Huh? Let's see. Do you um, go gator? No, I don't think I could get a gator. I mean, maybe I could get a gator cause, cause I know that they're actually, they can be, they can be kind of docile. It's crocodiles that are the scary ones. Um, I feel like raccoons and I, I, I feel like I understand raccoons, mm -hmm. uh, in a way if, if provided it does not have rabies, I do feel like, I do feel like raccoon and I would be evenly matched. 
because uh, they're like, like they are what like um, my uh, my like what's the word like in in his dark materials. Uh, everybody has an animal that like represents their spirit, and I think mine would be a raccoon. I'm like right on the the border of like classy and trashy, and uh, <laughs> and and I'm smart for what I am, and I have dark circles under my eyes, and I'm I'm very active with my hands, and uh, and I don't always respect authority, and. Um, and, and you love I'm, a nice garbage can. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I do I do actually find like going through other people's things very exciting and very interesting. Maybe not their garbage, but uh but I am so nosy. I am nosy as hell. So <laughs> have you ever seen that viral video of the raccoon reaching out for something and its arm just keeps telescoping out and out? <laughs> it, it looks like it's coming out eight feet. I haven't. I, I have seen the one where the raccoon puts uh, cotton candy in the water and it breaks my heart every time. I have not seen that one. Because it just dissolves and he's like, what the fuck? Where did it go? And he looks so sad and oh. it, it makes me incredibly sad. Uh, but apparently they gave that raccoon more cotton candy and he ate it. So so that's all good. Have you seen My Octopus Teacher? No, I've heard about it, but I haven't seen it's it. It's really good. It's, you yeah. know, it's uh, definitely got some melancholy moments, but uh, ultimately really, really beautiful and, and moving. The ocean kind of scares me because of just how much weird stuff there is in it. Like I have nightmares where I'm in the middle of the ocean and there's just so much, there's just so much depth and so many creatures and so much to it. I, I think that the ocean is, is kind of an overwhelming. It's like even more overwhelming to me than space is for some reason. Uh, but, but yeah, but I think like octopi and, and animals like that, like they'll, they'll probably rule the world someday <laughs> and good for them. <laughs> when will Matilda join the MCU? What is the MCU? I think the Marvel comic universe. Ah, um, well, she's, she's not a Marvel, she's not a Marvel property. So she, she really can't, I don't think she's not a part of the MCU because she's not a Marvel property. Uh, and I don't think she's a Disney or Fox property either. So she's not a part of that world. But I, I do like when people call her a superhero. There was a really funny video a couple of years ago, uh, this comedian um, who uh, did a video where somebody said, uh, uh, you know, is your friend cool? And they're like, yeah, he's cool. And they ask the friend, so who's your favorite superhero? And he says, Matilda. And they go, okay, he's cool. <laughs> and, uh, and I do like that. If Matilda had to pull a Robin Hood and rob a store to help poor people, what store would you, this is my question. What what store would she hit? That's a really good idea. Um, I don't think she would go to a store. I think she would go to Amazon. I think that she would like start, you know, maybe start labor disputes there. <laughs> and uh, and then, you know, do, do stuff with books because books are really her first love. And that's what Amazon started with. Now it sells everything. But, uh, but yeah, I think that she would probably try to take over Amazon, which is, you know, it's a big company and, and there's so much in it. And like, I have friends who work on Amazon prime shows and everything, but, uh, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of things out there that uh, need improvement. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't agree more. Uh, and speaking of books, somebody asked, when are you going to write another book? You know, that's a good question. I've been, the thing is right now, I just kind of, am not sure what kind of book I should write. Like I had some ideas for YA books that I was thinking of writing. And then I started writing some short stories that I thought could be interesting. And then I thought about like writing a book of essays uh, again. And then I thought about maybe writing a graphic novel. And uh, so right now it's kind of, it's kind of like I have a couple different options. I had a, I had a great idea for a children's picture book too. So um, that stuff is all kind of laid out in front of me and, uh, and I'm I'm sort of trying to figure out which one to go for first. Um, it, it, I think it's possible that the graphic novel might win, but I also definitely want to write for film and TV. So that's another thing that you might be seeing from me too. Is there uh, anything you'd like to share or touch on before we wrap up? Um, I mean, I, I think you've asked a lot of good questions. Do you have any more questions for me, you, Paul, personally? Um, I don't think so. We we touched on pretty much all the stuff that uh that i wanted to ask let's let's ask one more question from twitter mm -hmm. uh, this person asked you can be wednesday adams or daria for a day who do you pick and why wednesday adams hands down wednesday adams uh daria i don't really like daria i think that she's too cynical and a lot of that is sort of who it's i i look at daria and i see a lot of aspects of myself as a teenager that i don't like 
You know, there's, there's, she, she isn't a sincere person. I, I think that her, her best friend Jane is a very sincere person, but Daria, I don't think is. And, and I think too many people aspire to be her instead of realizing that she's sort of a reflection of ourselves, which I think is actually the problem with like a lot of Mike Judge stuff. Like a lot of boys wanted to be Beavis and Butthead, whereas while Beavis and Butthead were, was actually just like, look at these two funny dumbasses. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's just because something is a depiction of life doesn't mean that it's aspirational. Wednesday Adams, though, she knows who she is and she doesn't apologize for who she is, but she has this consistent, she has a consistent character. She's sincere. And that is, sincerity is something that I value very highly. It's uh, Wednesday such Adams an is attractive weird. quality. Exactly. Wednesday Adams is weird, but she's sincere. Everything about her is is consistent. And that's something that I like and admire. So I would much rather be Wednesday Adams. Also, uh, also she seems like she has more fun. Daria doesn't have a lot yes. of fun. <laughs> yeah. Sincerity is such a brave choice in uh, approaching life because what you're yeah. what you're saying is I am willing for you to judge me on who I am authentically. Yeah. I mean, I kind of can't help but be sincere. That's the thing. And I mean, I've, I, I, I still do like put up fronts every now and then because I think you kind of have to. That's the way life is, you know. Like when I was telling live stories on stage, I would, I would wait a while if there was like a story that was very sad or a story that uh, I knew like I would cry during. I, I needed to wait a while to present it to an audience. So I do think there is a level of. I'm not going to say artifice, but there is a level of, of separation and such that everybody has. And I'm not going to say that that's bad because everybody should have boundaries. But I do think that that sincerity as a value is something that's you know very important to me. And, and there's really no chance for intimacy if you're not willing to be vulnerable and sincere and authentic. It's, it's just yeah. impossible. I mean, I see, like, I always felt like the movies that, that freaked me out the most weren't horror movies. They were stuff like Cruel Intentions or Les Liaisons Dangerous, where people would get into relationships with people under false pretenses. And that always bothered me because I was like, how, how do you do that? You know, there were a lot of teen movies, I think, when I was growing up that were based on that movies, like She's All That. And I was always like, how? How do you even do that? I, cause I, I can't imagine doing that. And that's something that I feel like, yeah, you, you need to be sincere with yourself and others. I mean, I, I, I definitely have boundaries up and I definitely have trust issues, but, but yeah, ultimately, ultimately, I think you, you do need to be true. You do need to be sincere. Well, Mara, thanks for making time. And uh, it's great You're having so you back on the, the podcast. And people can fo follow you on Twitter at Mara Wilson. And uh, I imagine you're on Instagram. Yep, at Mara Wilson on Instagram as well. And I have a newsletter, uh, which is called Shan't We Tell the Vicar, because I come up with fake BBC show name titles. <laughs> <laughs> I watch a lot of British television. Uh, <laughs> and that is at mara.substack.com. Uh, say that one more time mara.substack.com cool mara thank you so much thank you so much yeah, really nice to catch up with with her again let's dive into some surveys this is from the love survey filled out by jayhawk and they write i love it when my cat tries to hide from me but i know exactly where she is because she snores so loudly i love it when a house plant i thought was dead starts to perk up a little I love it when toddlers come up to my street-level window to wave at me and I secretly make funny faces at them while their parents pry them away in the interest of politeness. I love it when a friend, a new friend, uses curse words in a sentence with me for the first time. Oh, those are fantastic. Thank you for those. This is from the Body Shame Survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Lulu. And she writes, uh, I just... I uh, to the question, what do you like or dislike about your body and why? My stomach and back fat. Growing up, my mother would always shame me about my weight. She would call me names like fat and sloppy. She even one day asked me how I looked myself in the mirror. It's funny because when I look back on how I looked back then, I think I look perfect. Now my mother no longer mentions my weight, but I'm not sure if I'll ever love my body. It's amazing how as kids... We can't see people projecting their own shit onto us. And it's so, it's so unfortunate. It's so unfortunate. 
This is from the love survey filled out by Charlie Stardust. And they write, I love walking down the street, seeing someone with headphones, feeling the music, and living their best lives. I love going into my local market and getting greeted by everyone. Oh, I love the, I love the picture in my head I have of that. I love the first coffee of the day. I love the second coffee of the day. I love the third coffee of the day. I love coffee. I love how my house looks on a Friday evening after I've cleaned it and have a whole weekend ahead. I love therapy sessions when I feel like my shrink is the only person in the world that understands me and we are the only two people on the planet. That's awesome. Thank you for those. Uh, this is from the Psych Ward Experiences uh, Survey. And uh, I'm going to put a little music that I did underneath this one, see how that works out. This was filled out by a woman who calls herself CVS Pharmacist for the Illuminati. She was hospitalized for a depressive episode that got out of hand during one of my bipolar tailspins. I told my therapist one day on the offhand that the pills I was taking looked like candy, and I just wanted to down them all at once. Then I proceeded to have a nervous breakdown. Cue the police-escorted drive to a state-funded hospital in the woods for a forced three-day getaway. Describe your experience as a patient or visitor. Absolutely bizarre experience, but a very telling glimpse into what state-funded facilities look like. Instead of it helping alleviate my depressive symptoms, I began to realize many things about myself. The main thing being how manipulative I can be and how I can read a room, garner an individual's intentions, and play people like a fiddle. However, this might just have been the fact that when I'm in any kind of distress, emotional, physical, and or otherwise, I tend to dissociate. I learned, like many other patients previously hospitalized and taking these surveys, that the nurses are overworked, burnt out, and give little fucks about the people locked inside the walls. One nurse saw that I was, quote, too normal and intelligible and asked me if I was part of a psychologist's experiment where they lock sane people up to test the staff. I know that this was a study that actually happened, but what the actual fuck? Because depressed and suicidal people can put on a front or something even when they're at a hospital. Another time, medical assistants who were screening my clothes lifted up a pair of my underwear, which had the word hope branded on the ass, and paraded it to his colleague while I was sitting right there. I snapped at him and told him that if he was going to do his job, then he better be respectful about it. He seemed startled that a patient would say anything about that and quickly apologized. Additionally, the staff didn't seem to prioritize making patients feel safe, as I was on a co-ed floor and was targeted by several older men and a woman, but more on that later. One of the men gave me unsolicited comments about my body, insisted I need to come to his room, and fetishized the heck out of my ethnicity. When I told a staff member I didn't feel safe around him and to please keep him away from me, he found me in the common area and told me that he wasn't attracted to me and that if he was, I would already be sleeping with him because he knew his way around women. Yuck. Another man tried to force hugs on me and low-key threatened me by saying he was here because voices told him to kill his girlfriend for not wanting to sleep with him. Yikes. Finally, a woman locked me in a room with her because I was the key to manifesting some very extravagant delusion of hers. While the staff were scrambling and banging on the door and increasingly, uh, and increasingly agitating her from the outside, I calmly talked to her and successfully negotiated my freedom by agreeing to participate in her delusion once we were outside, by human, humanizing myself to her and by listening to her in her more lucid moments. Once outside, she clamped a hand onto my arm and clung to me and had to be dragged away by staff to another floor on the ward. All this is to say, I knew I couldn't stay there longer than the 72-hour required window and resolved to check all the boxes to be let out even if my depressive symptoms didn't resolve themselves. I did the required group therapy, followed the schedule, socialized with staff and other patients, took all the required breaks and performed enrichment activities. On the day with my interview with the head psychiatrist, I made sure to give 
carefully constructed answers, highlight my participation, and firmly answer that nope, I was no longer suicidal, even though I still was. All this to say, I would rather have just killed myself than be locked up there for longer. I think after writing this, I recognize that this experience has certainly left me traumatized, but damn if this doesn't make a great story. Hope you enjoyed, and hopefully I'll stop trying to use humor to cope with everything. Wow, thank you for that. And I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with trying to use humor to cope. I guess it it depends on, is that the only thing that we're using to cope? And in which case, yeah, that's, that's not super helpful. But thank you for sharing that. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a a woman who calls herself No. She identifies as asexual. Uh, She's 17. She was raised, or probably is being raised, in a slightly dysfunctional environment, uh, according to her. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? There are three separate incidents in which I got sexually assaulted. I prefer not to talk about it because the stories are too lengthy and I don't want to write. How do I feel about it? I'm not traumatized, and nor do I have PTSD. Uh, I might emotionally strong. I think she probably left out the word B in there. She's been emotionally abused. My mom and dad say hurtful words when they are angry, and if it's my dad, he threatens to beat me up. Any positive experiences with them? I've had positive experiences with my parents who emotionally abuse me. Darkest thoughts. I'm not ashamed of this, but I emotionally abuse people too. I have to, I have to though, to get what I want. I live by the motto, everyone for themselves. Darkest secrets. I tried to kill my dog. That is heavy. Um, What if anything would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I wish I could tell people I don't care about them, and I wish I could show my true self in public. I'm truly apathetic, but I can't share it with anybody. I must fake empathy. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish to be a powerful figure slash politician. Have you shared these things with others? No, I did not, but for one time, I slipped in front of my psychiatrist and told him I was born without empathy. How do you feel after writing these things down? I feel the same way. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? I can't share with anybody my thoughts about other people. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That is, uh, I'm not sure what the word would be for that. Bracing? It might be the first time I've ever used used the word bracing in, in actual life, but thank you for your honesty. This is from the love survey filled out by Jay, and they write, I love taking my dog swimming, and his bottom teeth smile as he splashes through the water. I love outside showers and putting on a long-sleeved shirt during the warmth of a summer afternoon. I love walking on cool grass. Oh, that's a great one. I love taking walks as it's just beginning to snow, so my footsteps fill in behind me and the perfect paw prints my dog makes in a dusting of snow. I love the weight and warmth of too many blankets. Those are fantastic. Those are fantastic. Thank you for those. This is from the body shame survey filled out by um, a non-binary person who refers to themselves as, I'm not fat, I'm just gender dysmorphic. What do you like or dislike about your body and why? I hate my wide hips, muscular legs, asymmetrical smile, small eyes, and facial and body acne. But above everything, I hate how long I went feeling like my body was wrong because I didn't have an idealized and coveted, quote, androgynous body type. When I was younger, I had an eating disorder and just wanted to be thin. I wanted an androgynous body. I wanted how I felt on the inside to match what was on the outside, but I didn't have words to describe describe non-binary. I didn't know what that was. I was a teenager in the early 2000s, and gender was still very black and white at that time. 
Now that I'm in my 30s, I realize that I was just a kid trying to do the best with what I had. Perhaps if I'd known that gender could be more than just male-slash-female and not internalize the fucked-up notion that in order to look androgynous, you had to be very thin and have no curves. This idea is finally being challenged now in the media, and I'm happy knowing that other kids don't have to go through what I did. Looking back, I was fighting gender dysphoria without the right information, which led to me punishing my body as a result. Lately, however, I've been practicing gratitude, which helps me stop being hyper-fixated on all of my body's, quote, problems, while I shift towards acceptance and unlearning all the toxic BS I think about myself. Thank you so much for that. That, that I can't imagine the, the burden. I mean, I can imagine what it's like being at war with your body, I've I've certainly gone through periods of that, but I can't imagine when it comes to your gender and people are just saying rude, ignorant things to you constantly. This is a love survey filled out by Robot with Human Hair, and they write, I love hearing my son in the next room playing with his Legos or my old Constructs toys while he's listening to the Jimmy Eat World album Bleed American on his MP3 player. That is a great album, by the way. Thank you for that. This is also from the Body Shame survey filled out by Misty Hellgirl Extraordinaire, and she writes... Uh, I hate my face. I look like a female Mr. Bean. The shape of my head makes every hairstyle look terrible. My nose is convex and my eyes bulge out. Thanks to a shitty orthodontist, my jaw was overcorrected into an underbite. My self-loathing for my face gives me terrible posture in public because I just want to not be seen. Even seeing myself in the reflection of my cat's eyes in the morning makes me cringe. I don't mind my body as much, but I am aware of being too thin due to forgetting to eat or just plain not wanting to eat. I feel like a metal frame of a person just draped with skin, and I don't think I'm I'm a comfortable person to hold at all. You know, I, I can just speak from my point of view. I don't think I've ever hugged or held a person and thought, oh, this body type of theirs is uncomfortable to hug or hold. But it's amazing that the shit our brain can convince us of. Let's see, what's the next one I want to read? This is from, I want to read a portion of this. This is from the um, Shame and Secret survey. And I just want to read this portion of it because it highlights to me how complicated our relationships can be with our parents or caregivers, how light and dark they can be. This is filled out by AJ. Um, she identifies as bi. Uh, bi. She's in her 20s, was raised in a totally chaotic environment. Um, she was uh, exposed to um, a guy who was a sexual abuser uh, and She's putting together memories right now. They're beginning to come back to her of being abused by this guy. And even after Child Protective Services came in, her parents still invited this guy around. There was infidelity in her parents' relationship. There was hoarding, uh, sexually inappropriate behavior on their part. And then I want to read this part to the, to the, in answer to the question, were there any positive experiences? And she writes, good question. My mom and dad are positive people in many respects. They are both eldest children of farming families and worked so incredibly hard. They both delivered mail in our town for like 30 years. My dad is a logger. He delivers firewood and has respect for the woods. He hunts deer and has a great sense of humor and is very proud of his daughters. He considers us far more intelligent than him. My mom will give anyone the shirt off her back. Her whole family is like that. She has Native American blood in her family and has always had a very deep sense of loyalty and community. 
When I was eight or nine, she joined up with neighbors to defeat the expansion of a local factory farm. She will do anything to win a fight against wrongdoing and will help anyone with stuff from taxes to buying a house. Uh, So they both exposed me to a lot of good, positive coping mechanisms. My dad used to take us snowmobiling, taught us how to water ski behind our speedboat at our camp on the lake, how to ski, and used to take us to an indoor swimming pool in the winter. He taught me how to make maple syrup, how to fish. Once, when he was young, he spray-painted an upside-down peace sign on the family sugar cabin. He speaks French and makes really great baked beans with lard and maple. He knows how to make boudin, I think I'm pronouncing that right, and head cheese. I'm going to pass on that one. He loves kids and animals, raising chickens, doting on his grandkids. My mom raises rabbits and other animals. They both have great senses of humor, but they are just conflicted people. I love them both dearly but unfortunately cannot currently be around them. It's taken me many years of on and off therapy to figure shit out, and I am not at this point willing to risk moving backward by being triggered by them anymore. I really want to help slash be the hero, but it's not truly helpful for anyone anymore. Man, that is such a great example of the conundrum that many of us find ourselves in with relationships with family members and it's so hard working through it there's so much guilt so much confusion and I really love that you have decided at least for now to put your mental health first and finally I want to read uh, something from the love survey this was filled out by Poison Ivy, and they write, I love my daily morning walks with my dog. I'm working from home during the pandemic, and it's become the perfect activity to both procrastinate and also get myself in the right mindset for work. I love when my dog walks with haste when he sees a squirrel. I never let him get to the one, but the fact that he thinks it could possibly happen one day is awesome. I love picking my toddler up from daycare, and when she sees me, yells, Mommy! I love the time after I drop my toddler off for daycare, I get to enjoy hot coffee and have an hour all to myself. It doesn't happen often, but I love when my partner and I read bedtime stories to our kid. When it does happen, it's magical. And I love that my partner respects and values my intellect. Thank you for those. It's such an an awesome... I mean, one, it's such an awesome thing when we feel respected and seen by our partners, and it's amazing how often we will settle into relationships where that's not even there. To me, that's such a basic baseline need that should be met if we're going to be in a a relationship with somebody. And you know, one of the one of the reasons I got up the nerve to share some of my music with you guys is because. I felt safe sharing my music with my girlfriend, and I believe her when she says, you know, you, you need to to share this with people. And it it really kind of boosted my energy because it has rekindled my passion in, in making music. And you know, I don't know where it'll go. It could disappear tomorrow, but for right now, it just feels like a, the, um, the, the flame inside me that uh, that keeps me going it feels like it's just a little little bit brighter um anyway i hope you enjoyed our episode today i hope you you got something out of it and i hope if you're struggling especially as we head into the trifecta of thanksgiving christmas and new year's that you're being kind to yourself and uh you don't heap shame on all the shit you already have on your plate And just remember, you're not alone. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.